Hi there. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome. My name is Josh. This is Dharma Punks New York. Hope you're doing well. Next in-person event will be the first Tuesday of February. Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can join Kathy's morning meditation group, Daily Pause. And there's information on the Dharma Punks uh, NYC.com website. If you'd like to support my work, I do everything by donation. The Venmo's Dharma Punks with an X NYC. There's information about the PayPal and the Patreon on the website. So thanks for your support. You are how I can make this sustainable. So tonight, burnout culture. Uh, the rationale underpinning our digitally connected world, and tonight when I use the the word connected, I'm not talking about two people getting together and talking. I'm talking about connected in the sense of the internet, where we have devices that can constantly push information to us. So the rationale underpinning a digitally connected world, which is based on surprisingly user-friendly interfaces that pretty much anyone over a short period of time can master pretty well and that their point and click, it presents a culture of convenience. Uh, we have search engines and news feeds that can push this flood, a veritable proliferation of knowledge at a few keystrokes. With a few point and clicks, we can order food and have it appear at our doorstep. We can order commodities and not have to go to any store. They just arrive. We can connect with limitless individuals via social media, platforms and dating apps. And we now have recently a plethora of really powerful creative tools that are freely available and powered by AI. Now, there's been many books that have tackled the disparities in internet connectivity and how it disenfranchises 40% of the world's population. And there's, of course, many issues with data privacy, fraud, online stalking, children's safety that have to be worked on by policymakers. But what are the psychological implications of this always-on culture, these always-on devices? How does the identity bifurcation the fact that there's a me that I present to you online and Zoom talks and through the internet versus the sense of self when I'm unplugged and not visible to anyone. How does that create a bifurcation in my identity, a sense of two separate or distinct selves? And how does a connected world lead to always on workplaces where individuals feel uncomfortable if they don't check their work email and messages at night or on weekends? And how does 
um, working for companies that favor remote teams, working virtually, never meeting each other, distant parts of the globe, foster a sense of isolation and disconnection. Well, there's so many different ways to tackle the psychology and the ramifications of an internet, uh, digitally connected world. And I recently read a book by the philosopher Byung-Chul Han, who uh, was born in South Korea, but I believe lives in Germany. And uh, he wrote a very short kind of speculative book called Burnout Society. And it's already a book that's in the short span of the time since it's been published about a year ago, I think, has received a lot of attention. It's a very fast read in that it may be, I don't know, something like it felt like 50 or 60 pages. I read it on a Kindle, so I'm really never sure if the page counts of books I read, but it was very fast. I read it in two nights. And if you're not too put off by some of the academies that contemporary philosophers write in, I mean, he's not that dense, but it's a provocative book in that it reflects a darker world, one where the great threat to our way of life he notes from the beginning is no longer going to come from the outside. You know, for a long time, we felt it was going to be in the form of enemy states or terrorists. In the 1950s, people believed that the Russian communists were going to invade. Um, and then recently, of course, there was the invasion of viruses. But um, Chol Han suggests that the next great threat comes from within. It's woven into the very foundations of our culture. There's nothing external coming in. It's actually built right into the way we live today. He notes how the effacing boundaries between work and leisure have blurred to the point where we're bombarded um, with information that masquerades as empowering, but creates a compulsion to stay connected and online. And with that, there's this felt compulsion to be visible, to present while we're online a kind of demeanor that's appealing. Uh, that's presentable to others. Um, he notes how staying connected leads to self-surveillance. We now monitor our appearance and our emotional state to make sure we're presenting something that other people will like. And in his view, um, we feel greater shame these days over having negative emotions like grief and anger and loneliness because they're not presentable to the always-on world. Um, for Ban Byung Chul Han, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but um, that's my best guess. Uh, being distracted by Instagram while you were trying to text someone is a regressive state that we're constantly living in this state of distraction and information overload and that we've 
tragically lost the ability to step away and to reflect on our internal states and our true values. And he sees uh, today's individual as one that can't, someone who can't sit still, someone who's hot wired to be reactive, that is impatient, someone who yields to every impulse, uh, someone, he says today, the pe people who are generations that were brought up in a connected world no longer can tolerate boredom. Uh, it's painful for many to disconnect. And that because of that, the connections that we have offline, when we're not on the internet, are not mediated by Zoom or... Google or FaceTime or uh, whatever apps we use, we have lost uh, the ability to connect with others by fully listening. We have this distracted attention that's always looking for more information to come. And where's, am I getting messages on my smartphone? Am I getting, uh, is there news happening that I should keep up with? And so he sees a culture of rapidly diminishing real intimate connections replaced by these sort of presentations of an affable self on the internet that's fully inauthentic. Um, and in an accelerated world, he believes we've lost the ability to take breaks, that we live in a state of hyperactivity that we and that the end result is fatigue, depression, ADHD, borderline personality disorder, anxiety. So for uh, Chol Han, doesn't see fatigue, depression, anxiety, ADHD, borderline as um, uh, like pathologies that are mistakes. He believes they are the inevitable outcome of our way of life. It's a kind of profound, there's a lot of, in the, the 50 pages of his book, there's a lot of kind of dispiriting but profound um, uh, kind of reflections on today's world. He sees burnout and exhaustion as the true outcome of trying to live in a connected world. And uh, in one moving part of the book, uh, he points to, I don't know if you're familiar with Herman Melville's Bartleby the Scrivener. It was a kind of, in U.S., uh, the school that I went, it was like a, a short work that everybody was assigned and uh, he sees Bartleby, the character, as a kind of forerunner of burnout culture. Uh, in Bartleby the Scrivener, describes an inhumane world of degraded workers, melancholic, suffering from neurotic disorders. And Bartleby himself burns out and responds to everything with this one statement, I would prefer not to, whenever his bosses asks him to do something, says, I would prefer not to do some, not to, not to, I would prefer not to. And uh, he reaches a complete 
lack of drive, apathy, and he winds up for long stretches standing at a window, staring at a wall, and then out of exhaustion eventually dies. And uh, this is uh, for Chulhan like the precursor of today's man or woman. Um, now, um, he is not alone, Chulhan, in this concern. Today, sociologists refer to burnout syndrome which is characterized by feelings of severe energy depletion or exhaustion, increased alienation and cynicism with one's endeavors, work or creative or otherwise, uh, reduced motivation, sense of agency and efficacy. Um, and in the studies on burnout syndrome that there's a sense that it's an outcome of a climate which demands constant competition, overproduction, where nine to five jobs are replaced by multiple income streams and side hustles and entire industries where people work are subject to disruption, especially now by AI. And uh, people who work, for example, uh, in industries where they put an enormous amount of labor into something and they submit it, and then months pass without hearing a word, the kind of uh, lack of acknowledgement that people live with, and how freelancers and gig workers jump from one project to the next without any break, without any downtime, out of fear that if they don't take the next job and then the next and then the next, they'll never be employed again. So um, burnout is not the same as depression um, in that burnout, if we change the, our lifestyle, if we change how we work and also change how we connect, and how much we stay connected online, and uh, it can be alleviated, whereas depression is often treatment-resistant and can linger for decades without, uh, very often takes an enormous amount of Herculean efforts, whereas burnout is something that can be alleviated if one examines one's priorities and the way one interacts with others and the world. But burnout for sure can lead to depression and other pathologies. Um, uh, our contemporary lifestyle where people might spend 12, 14 hours a day uh, on smartphones or online um, without much break, without disconnecting, without taking time to uh, not pay attention to some screen. The demands uh, that it places on our anterior cingulate cortex is significant. Um, what happens is over time, the neurotransmitter adenosine builds up in that region. And adenosine increases the sense of strain 
involved in paying attention to a task. It impairs motivation, it blockades dopamine, and it leads to anhedonia, a lack of joy, a lack of meaning. It's the same brain chemistry that during the pandemic led to Zoom fatigue, where people would spend one Zoom meeting after another, after another, after another, and have all of their interactions mediated by Zoom. But it's kind of played out over a, a span of years and decades where people uh, sustain so many connections via this mediated uh, online life. Before we reach burnout and collapse, there are many instances of uh, cognitive overload, times that, and there are real indications that something, that we need to step back, we need to step away. For instance, times that we're short and reactive with others, times an inability to get out of an impatient state, to constantly be fidgeting, tapping, impatient for uh, uh, things to arrive, working without taking breaks, forgetting to eat while being on the internet, carrying stress from one's work life to the time that one is supposed to be offline or disconnected, scattered states of attention, unable to rest and just uh, be outdoors or just close one's eyes and reflect, and of course, insomnia. So meeting the demand to present an upbeat, positive demeanor on all the Instagram and text messages and Zoom calls and whatnot, we suppress, as I mentioned earlier, negative emotions, which removes a vital alarm system in our autonomic nervous system. Negative emotions are withdrawal emotions. Withdrawal emotions are there to interrupt the drive to, you know, present to the world and to stay available and to be productive. Negative emotions are the emotions that the right hemisphere activates to say it's time to disconnect, to pull away, to self-care, to find safety. And if we don't allow ourselves to feel and understand negative emotions, we don't understand that it's a warning sign that is meant to help us discharge all the stress that's built up and to allow our minds to rest. And sadly, today when fatigue and irritability and overload and distraction starts to set in, instead of understanding that these are warning signals that we need to take a break, many individuals do the exact opposite of what's healthy in that they try to make their brains more efficient, which only makes burnout worse. A uh, classic maladaptive um, solutions that uh, are really unhealthy is people will consume caffeine throughout the day. Now, nobody's, there's every indication that having two cups in the morning are fine 
that don't have any negative effect on the brain. But when people consume hundreds of mill of uh, micro, what is that milligrams of whatever I don't remember the units of caffeine throughout the day, and it's uh, climbing across all age groups. There's a significant overactivation of the amygdala, and of course, anxiety is exacerbated. And even worse, um, there's a vast overprescription of ADHD meds, which are amphetamines. And while there are neurally divergent individuals that have a deficit of forward projection of dopamine to their their lateral regions of their frontal cortex, so many people are being diagnosed with ADHD simply because they can't keep up with an unnatural world. They can't. Their brains are just having a natural response to an unnatural demand. Today, 15%, I believe, of U.S. children are diagnosed with ADHD, which is insane. And 5% of the population overall, I believe, has ADHD prescriptions. And on top of that, we seek coaches and self-help books to help us be more efficient. And all of this is not the solution. The way out of fatigue and burnout is not to put, <laughs> try to be more efficient. It's to step away. It's to take a break. It's to, it doesn't mean we have to take a vacation all the time. It means on a daily basis to meaningfully disconnect and to remove the mind from all screens, from all push information, from all visibility, from all uh, sense of connectedness, and to profoundly uh, disconnect in a meaningful way. And one of the ideas that uh, the Burnout Society book presents at the end is how beneficial idleness is as a healthy response to life. And these are, you know, words uh, that, that are mellifluous to the ears of a Buddhist pastor. You know, true connection with other people is based on listening, not doing, but granting fully sustained and focused attention without any other concern tugging at our awareness. And the role, you know, of education is to make ourselves capable of deep and contemplative attention, not to train us how to stay pinned to a, you know, a smartphone screen scrolling uh, a news app or a social media app. When we learn to focus we learn to inhibit our instincts to constantly scatter our attention, looking for new opportunities and threats. And that our greatest cultural achievements, the advances that benefit the well-being for us and our species, developed out of deep contemplative attention. Uh, Einstein used to talk about taking those walks on the beach 
where he would just feel the sand and the wind and then not think about the problem, put his mind to rest. And then when he got back to his office, the solution would be there. Relax, sustained attention, contemplative attention, meditation is not a matter of being passive or idle, but really it's being open to life as it really is. And all of this leads us in in a nutshell to understand why meditation is so vitally essential to our well-being and to preventing the disastrous outcomes, the ADHD, the insomnia, the anxiety, the depression associated with burnout. We don't want to reach a burnout collapse state to finally heed the message because it takes, it can take months and years to recover from a burnout collapse, whereas simply reading the signs of irritability and patience scattered attention, unable to really listen to others. If we pay attention to it before we burn out, we can disconnect simply on a daily basis, learn to settle our attention on our breath or on a phrase or on a visualization and develop distress tolerance and patience through embodied awareness and we can diminish studies by Sarah Lavar, Lazar at, at Harvard, firing of the amygdala and increase the e- efficacy of our cingulate so that we can sustain attention when we are looking at smart devices with less strain. And when we learn to disconnect, suddenly we become appreciative and grateful which very few people are when they're in the consuming presenting state of being in the connected uh, virtual world. So that's tonight's talk. Hope there was something worth reflecting on. And now what we're going to do is prevent burnout in our own lives by disconnecting entirely. You're going to disconnect from looking at me in the screen, you're going to give yourself permission to completely disconnect from all need to be visible. And uh, only I (laughs) have that obligation to stay on. And so um, what I'd encourage you to do is go off screen or turn off your video feed while we're doing the meditation. And uh, just closing the eyes, allowing your attention to begin to migrate back home to your internal sensations, sensations orienting or emerging, I should say, from your body. And if you want to have some external vigilance, just allow the sounds from the world around you to flow into consciousness, but don't 
don't try to figure out what's creating the sounds or create visualizations about the sounds. Just allow them to be a kind of reminder of the spaciousness surrounding you. But bring the focus of your attention to the internal sensations of your body and just find some sensations that feel very comfortable and uh, welcoming. We don't want to immediately go to difficult or stressful sensations. Find a place in your body that feels spacious. And if you can feel the implications of breathing, the movement of breathing in and the release of breathing out wherever you've landed. If it doesn't feel possible to find the breath, maybe you've landed your awareness in your forehead or on in the palms of your hands. So try to just bring awareness of the sensations of breathing. Find the most, the area of the body where breathing feels the most inviting. And for the time being, just know when you're breathing in, know when you're breathing out. If it's difficult to stay with the breath, you can just count one on the first inhalation, two on the exhalation, think three on the next inhalation, four on the next exhalation, and then when you reach five on that in-breath, start counting back down. So you're counting four on the out-breath. So you're counting from one to five and back down with the odd numbers always on the e on the in-breath and the even numbers always on the out-breath. If that doesn't make any sense to you, don't worry about it. Just count. Counting is there just to help us focus our attention, rest our attention on the breath. The breath is when we land on it, and just observe it, eventually becomes quite soothing, restorative.
So with this reminder to stay present with just the sensations of the breath, the sounds, body sensations, if this a reminder caught you where your mind was wandering away to planning, memories, That's all fine, all normal. Don't feel any invitation to become present and land once again in your life as anything other than a warm, just welcome back to the present where there's nothing right now to be anxious about or worried about. The present is often the safest state to reside in. Almost all of our dread and anxiety is anticipatory, not based on actually present experiences. Don't worry what thoughts pulled you away. There's nothing to feel like we've made a mistake or anything far from it. It's totally natural to wander away and then come back. And it's in the coming back to the body, the breath, the present that we wire into us an ability to detach meaningfully from the internal news and information that's constantly pushing, seeking our attention, our inner chatter, the inner projections, all the stuff the mind fabricates are like internal representations of the online world. So the way out is just to return to real sensations actually happening. Find the body, find the sounds. and just rest in them.
If you'd like, find some part of the breath or just some sensation in your body that feels really easeful, pleasant. And see if with each in-breath you can expand the state of ease through your body. With each out-breath, just release And then with each subsequent in-breath, just spread the ease through your body. Imagine the ease being also bright, light. Receiving the full attention of your awareness. So you're spreading your awareness of the body and spreading ease through the body with each breath until the entire body is luminous. Where ease is suffusing through it with each inhalation and then relaxing with each exhalation, and then see if you could spread these beyond the sense of where your body ends, letting go of any sense of inside or outside. See if you can experience all the sensations and sounds It's just occurring in your mind like your body, and there's no separation between what's inside or outside. And just spread whatever comfort, whatever soothing state you can, just keep spreading it in all directions. left, right, above, below, forward, backward. Sense your awareness expanding beyond any constraint of your body. Just suffusing in all directions.
what would it be like if you could expand your consciousness so broad that every sensation occurring anywhere could fit within your awareness. Nothing anymore residing outside of your mind. In your mind, spacious, open, no longer identifying with the smallness of a body or a head. No longer divided between inside and outside. Limitless. And just finally reach the state the Buddha talked about where there's no longer any sensation or object that we're focusing on. We're just keeping our awareness as vast as the sky allowing everything that occurs to move through the mind without any contraction, any clinging, any adding of a story, any views or opinions. Just an open, spacious mind where thoughts, feelings, images, memories, sensations, sounds can pass through no longer with that any sense of there being an outside just spacious awareness
So we reach the time where we can gently enter a transition from this spacious, open awareness, sky-like mind, to a less meditative, open state, a more state of feeling, being inside of a body in a world. And then taking whatever time you need, returning 